You know, when you decide to be a teacher, how many teachers do we have in the room? I know my wife has been, you know, a homeschool teacher. There's a certain amount of faith involved in teaching. You, do you agree with that? Okay, there's a certain amount of faith involved in teaching. And what I mean is there's no guarantee that students are going to learn, right? When you get up there, when you prepare your lesson plans, when you put your heart and soul into teaching, there's no guarantee that students are going to learn. But if you're convinced not only that they need to learn, but of the consequences of your students not learning and being prepared for the future, then you're likely to persevere and do the job when the going gets tough. And then you have those shining students. Who can remember those shining students? You know, the ones that get it, the ones that apply what you've taught them, the ones that have a bright future. And when you have those shining students, this solidifies your expectation that the work you're doing is worth it. That there's going to be a return on your efforts. Your work will not be in vain. Now, this is a good illustration of believing without seeing. Okay? You believe in the worthiness of the work. You believe that it's going to make a difference, but you don't immediately see the results. Right? It's the same thing with parenting or any number of things that we do. This is believing without seeing. You believe in the worthiness of your work and in the likelihood of positive impact. And without this belief, you'd be unwilling to engage in the work. Right? If you didn't believe that your efforts were going to have some kind of positive result, then you would be unwilling to engage in the work. You know, when you and I choose to believe without seeing, it is how we embrace our future without becoming victims of it, right? If we have no belief, if we've lost hope, then we just kind of get carried along by life and we're victims of our future, but we're not helping to shape it. We're not engaging in it because we've lost hope. You know, when I begin to struggle and feel helpless, I know that this is a crisis of faith for me. It's that I'm not believing that God has led me to this point. I'm not believing that God is in this moment. I'm not believing that God's going to lead me forward. So if we don't learn to view our past, our present, and our future through eyes of faith, we'll inevitably lose heart, you know? When you look back at your past and you see hard things, you say, you know what? God was aware of it. And he factored it in. When you consider your present circumstances, you come to a point where you say, you know what, God was not only aware of this, but he factored it in. And then it, it strengthens your faith that whatever comes in the future, you can also have confidence that God was aware of this. He saw it coming, and he factored it in. And he still has plans for you, and he still has plans for me. So this willingness to believe without seeing keeps our challenges in life from convincing us that God is not on the throne. And that's the ultimate love point, isn't it? When we just start, we lose heart and say, you know what? I don't even think God's in control anymore. I don't even know that God's on the throne. It seems like my circumstances are on the throne in my life. Today we're going to talk about a prophet who is called by God to a career of believing without seeing. I mean, his entire career, he believed in things that were going to happen one day, and he never got to see them in his lifetime. That was his career. And his confidence in the word of the Lord convinced him of the worthiness of his work. And it enabled him to persevere when times got tough. Point number one today is that Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, was called by God. Jeremiah chapter 1 beginning in verse 4. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I chose you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, said Jeremiah, I said, I do not know how to speak. I'm too young. 
But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Now this is one of the more powerful passages in Scripture. When people are talking about the sanctity of life, they point to this verse because it says God knew Jeremiah before he was even born. While he was still in his mother's womb, he was known by God and chosen by God to do specific, important work. And this knowledge would be important for Jeremiah when he would encounter the inevitable storms of life. And so for you today, God knew you. God knew you. He knew me while we were in our mother's womb. He knew where you would be born. He knew where you would grow up. He knew what challenges you would face. He knew what opportunities specifically you would face. He was aware of it. He factored it in. And he has in mind specific work for you to do. So may this encourage you as you encounter the inevitable storms of life. I don't know what storms you're facing right now. But God knew you. He chose you. He has specific work in mind for you to do. And this is certainly what Jeremiah You know, if you are obedient to God as Jeremiah was, you better believe the storms are coming. Is that, can I get an amen? amen? If you are obedient to God, if you put him first, you better believe the storms are coming. And this is exactly also what Jeremiah found out. As God says in the following scripture, point number two is that Jeremiah would face opposition. God chose him for a difficult task. He wasn't going to see a lot of fruit from his labors. And Jeremiah would face opposition. Verse 17. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you before them. Can you see the kind of work that God is setting Jeremiah up for? You know what it was like to be a prophet in those days? You know what your job was? Talk back to me. What was your job as a prophet? You had to tell people about Jesus. Okay. You had to tell people what God said. Was it typically good news? No, it was not good. In fact, we'll see in a later scripture. Jeremiah says, you, you set me up, God. I say bad things. I deliver the bad news all the time, and people don't like me. Can you imagine what a challenging situation this was for Jeremiah? But God says, today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, to stand up for what is right, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Anybody want to sign up for that job description? I certainly wouldn't. But God knew him. He shaped him. He chose him for this important work. But at every turn, Jeremiah's unpopular message had stirred up opposition. One of the more notable cases is Jeremiah finds himself at the bottom of a cistern. Sister's just a well. It was a dried up well. They threw him down at the bottom of that well and they said, we're just going to leave him there to die. We're not going to feed him. We're just going to abandon him. But Jeremiah, as God said, he eventually outlasted all of his enemies. He outlasted all of his enemies. You know, when we came back after just four months on the field with a sick child, you know, Susanna was not well and we were concerned. Rick and Susan met us at the airport. She started to recover, and we actually shared at one of our partner churches. And we were, I was talking about persevering through hard times out of the book of Ezekiel. 
And after I finished my message, this guy stood up. He was not invited to stand up. Uh, he was not a pastor. But he kind of had wild hair, um, really long beard, and he began to kind of piggyback off the story of Ezekiel and talk about some things that God had been telling him through my message. And what, the, the thing that he really settled on was, you guys don't need to go back to China. God's telling you this. You guys don't need to go back to China. So here we are. You know, our daughter is just recovering. We're a little bit concerned. We're a little bit unsettled. And here's this guy standing up saying, God's telling me to tell you, you can't go back to China. In fact, he even said it would be foolish like offering up Isaac on the altar as Abraham did. And so after the, after the message, you know, the pastor came up and kind of privately said, just so you know, Dave, that's, that's not how we feel. I mean, and, and I knew he was going to address that in a later time, but it shook us up. You know, we, we believed that God had called us to go abroad. And then we had this really traumatic experience where our daughter was very ill. And then we were facing opposition. As we'll talk about next week, conviction, and we had conviction at that time, will give us the strength to overcome opposition. And not only was Jeremiah convinced that his message was true, but he was also convinced that God would deliver him. Jeremiah's message was important, as we'll see in just a moment. This was Israel's last chance. It was their last chance to turn it around before God was going to execute judgment. So he knew that he had important work to do, just like we knew that we needed to go back. And when we faced opposition, that conviction that we had important work to do drove us to return. You know, at the same time, when opposition began to pile up, Jeremiah began to be weary of always being the bad guy. Can you imagine that? It's like every time he gets up to talk and opens his mouth, they say, oh, here he goes again. So he, he was discouraged. He had been faithful all this time, but he got discouraged. You ever been tired of being the good guy? You ever been tired of doing the right thing? Standing up for what's right? Wouldn't it be much easier to just go with the flow in your life? It'd certainly be easier for me to just go with the flow. Let's just accept whatever culture says, whatever the media says. We just got to go along with it and rubber stamp it with our approval. So at this point, I think Jeremiah's just feeling fatigued. And because he didn't see a light at the end of the tunnel, Jeremiah says in this next scripture, he said, I, he felt mistreated by God. You ever felt like that? God, I was faithful. God, I was obedient. God, I followed your path. And look where it's got me. I'm tired of resisting the flow of the world. I just want to kind of get in the stream and go and be like everybody else. I am tired of resisting. Chapter 20, verses 7 through 11, Jeremiah says these strong words. He says, you deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. So he's making his case saying, God, you put me in a really bad spot. But here's where we see what he's made of. And, and what God has built into him. How that knowledge that God has called him and God has important work for him to do, it drives Jeremiah on. He says, but if, but if I say I will not mention his word or speak anymore in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire. A fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. 
Now, you ever felt like that? Well, you just know that God is calling you. God is moving you to do something specific. And maybe he's calling you to do something today. Maybe it's something he wants you to say. Maybe it's something he wants you to do and you just feel compelled. And you know that if you don't, it's, he's not going to leave you alone. Your conscience is going to bother you until you do or you say that. And that's what Jeremiah is saying. I can't hold it in. It's like a fire shut up in my bones. It's the conviction of the Lord that he wants me to do this thing. But there's plenty of opposition. I hear many whispering. Listen to this. Terror on every side. Denounce him. Let's denounce him. All my friends. Don't sound like really good friends. They're waiting for me to slip, saying perhaps he will be deceived. Then we will prevail over him. And take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. So my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will fail and be thoroughly disgraced. Their dishonor will never be forgotten. So we see that even though Jeremiah, he has his doubts. At times he feels mistreated. He feels deceived. But in the end, his conviction compels him. It compels him to be <laughs> You know, even your and my conviction can falter when we're under constant stress, right? We believe in doing what's right, but we get tired. We get fatigued. We get under stress. We get tired of saying things like, you ever, you ever said something like this? Do you realize that this will lead to that? You ever said that to your kids, to your friends? Do you realize that that thing that you're doing right now, do you realize that that behavior you're engaging in, do you realize where it's going to lead? We get tired of saying things like that. Or in compassion, somebody who seems confused and you say, Did, didn't you realize, friend, family member, didn't you realize that that would lead to this? And we get tired. And we just want to kind of clam up and withdraw. And that's what Jeremiah is tempted to want to do. Just, just back off. Just let up. Take it easy, man. Take a chill pill. That's probably a little bit you may have said that. Take a chill pill. We feel that we're not really helping, and we get nothing but grief for our trouble, right? I mean, Jeremiah is being faithful. He is being obedient. What does he get for his trouble? He gets grief. He gets assassination attempts. But he feels compelled to move forward, and here's why. Because he felt conviction. So Jeremiah feels that God has not been entirely straightforward with him in the recruiting process. You know, when my brother signed up for the military, everybody warned him. Can you, can you guess what I'm going to say? Everything they tell you, everything they promise you, that position, the length of time, get it in writing, right? Get it in writing. But my brother's a really nice guy, real you know, friendly, believing, trusting. So instead of his job, he was going to be a firefighter with, with the military. Uh, and it was going to be a four-year term, and he was going to come out well-equipped for what he wanted to do next. Instead, he spent five years, not four, moving bombs around on a forklift. So he was the victim of a little bit of bait-and-switch recruiting. So this is how Jeremiah's feeling a little bit. Jeremiah knew he was not in for a smooth ride, but this was ridiculous. He was ready to avoid the contract. He was ready to lay down his role. But at this point, his conviction carried him through again. God knows me before I was born. God shaped me. 
My countrymen really are in danger. He was convicted that his countrymen really were in danger. And so what he concluded was, if I don't do my part, this is what Jeremiah realized, if I don't do my part, I'm partly responsible. If I don't do my part, I am at least partly responsible for what happens. In other words, I'm not responsible for them. I mean, they stand and fall before God on their own merits. But I am responsible to them. I'm not responsible for them, but I am responsible to them to play my part, to deliver this message. And that was his responsibility. And whether you and I are dealing with children, parents, friends, employees, even maybe service providers, this resonates with us, right? I gave them every opportunity. I gave them every opportunity. And Jeremiah's obedience and perseverance, I mean, he, he gets off on the right foot and he, he obeys, but he also perseveres in spite of opposition. And it does this. It gives his countrymen every opportunity to turn back to the Lord. And isn't that been your experience with God? With you? He gives you every chance. He gives you every opportunity. He is long-suffering. He is patient. He is willing. If you turn back, there's always a way back. But Jeremiah had to do his part. So at the root of Jeremiah's faithfulness was his confidence in the word of the Lord. And because of this, our final point, this is where this is all headed today. And I was so encouraged by this revelation from Scripture. Jeremiah chose to believe in what he did not see. He chose to believe. Even though he didn't see it, even though God was talking about the future, so to some extent, the imminent future, but also the long future. Jeremiah chose to believe in what he did not see. The days are coming, chapter 23, verse 5. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up from David's line a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. So firstly, he talks about the Messiah. That time when Jesus is going to come and deal fully and finally with sin so that man can be reconciled to God. And Jeremiah believes it. He believes, even though he doesn't see it, and during his lifetime he won't see it. And this is how God had inspired him to believe through his experiences. And then he also says, So then the days are coming, declared the Lord, when the people will no longer say... As surely as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites up out of Egypt, but they will say as surely as the Lord lives who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north and out of all the countries where he had banished them. Then they will live in their own land. So not only did he believe in the long fulfillment of the Messiah, but he believed that 70 years after the exile, the exiles would come back. And Jeremiah believed the word of the Lord. So Jeremiah's obedience, it stirred up opposition. Well, that's pretty obvious, right? Severe opposition. And it temporarily knocked the wind out of his sails like it does to us. But when he chose to persevere and he experienced God's deliverance again and again, this strengthened his expectation that the word of the Lord would be fulfilled. Even if it wasn't in his lifetime. And maybe that's what God's calling for you and me. We're in situations, we're in storms, we don't see a way forward. And he's calling us to continue to put our faith 
and trust and hope in, in Him, even if we don't see the fulfillment of His promises in our lifetime. But it is His belief. If Jeremiah's belief had not moved him to action and perseverance, he would have lost heart. He knew what God had called him to do. He knew the role he was supposed to play. And if he hadn't, if he hadn't acted on it and persevered and been faithful because of his convictions, he would have lost heart. Final verse today is John chapter 20, verse 29. Then Jesus told him this. He's talking to Thomas, you know, doubting Thomas. Sadly, my middle name. Doubting Thomas is saying to Jesus, you know, he's saying to the other disciples, I won't believe it until I see it. You know, show me. Let me see it, and then I'll believe it. And Jesus comes to him and shows him the scars. He puts his hands in the holes in Jesus' hands into the wounds. And then Jesus says to Thomas, you see, because you have seen me, you have believed. That's great. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So when you and I hit rock bottom, Spiritually, our bottom line for today is that believing without seeing, that's the way forward. We don't see it. We don't know how it's going to happen. We don't know how God's going to come through. But we believe it, even though we don't see it. Believing without seeing sows the seeds of change. When you think about any great world movement or even local movements, it begins by somebody or somebody's believing and what they don't yet see. So believing without seeing is the way forward. So I've got a few questions for you in closing today. What is it in your life today that you're desiring to see? You don't see it yet. What are you desiring to see? Relationally, maybe it's a broken relationship. What are you desiring to see? Maybe you're struggling and concerned about your finances. Maybe you're concerned about your health. Maybe you're concerned about family members or, or your neighborhood or your community or our nation. And there's ample cause for concern. So what are you praying? What are you desiring to see? What are you desiring to see? Secondly, what do you believe? What do you believe that God cares about? I mean, Jeremiah was convinced that God cared enough about his people to give them every opportunity. So what do you believe God cares about? What do you believe is possible? I mean, that's where we really are confronted with our unbelief is when we start thinking about what we don't see and we desire to see it, but we realize, I don't believe. And we have a crisis of faith. I don't think anything's going to change. I don't believe anything's possible. So what do you believe God cares about? What do you believe is possible? And what do you believe God is capable of? Is he really capable? Is he really able and then lastly, so what do you desire to see? What do you believe? And what are you willing to do about it? And this is where the rubber meets the road. Because if Jeremiah's belief in what he could not see had not moved him to act, this story would have ended very differently. I mean, this is such an interesting story. Jeremiah ends up going into exile with these guys. He continues to prophesy while in exile. And even though his life is continually threatened, God spares his life. God follows through. He does, continues to deliver Jeremiah. Jeremiah was faithful because he not only believed without seeing, but he was willing to do something. 
So where are you at today? What if you and I, what if we all were a people who desire to see? We look out on the landscape and we don't see it yet. We see chaos. We see suffering. We see trouble. We're concerned. We don't see it, but we desire to. And then what if we were the kind of people who are willing to believe, to hope against hope? We don't see it. We don't know how it's going to happen. We don't know when it's going to happen. But we believe it's possible. We believe that God is capable and able. And what, what if we were people who were willing to do something about that belief? To persevere through opposition and then experience the kind of divine involvement. Because it doesn't happen immediately. If you persevere, if you push through, and then you start to see God at work, then you become convinced. Like Jeremiah became convinced that God will complete the good work. He will complete the good work that he began in you, and he will complete the good work that he began through you. So are we willing to be people who believe even when we don't see? And are we willing to be people who will do something about that thing that God's moved on your heart and he's moved on my heart to be a part of changing and sowing the seeds God, thank you for this opportunity to be here and for this powerful um, word that you've given us through, from your scriptures, God, of a, of a man, just an ordinary man that you knew before he was even born, that you chose before he was even born to do specific things, God, to do important work. And let us also realize, God, that you've called us, you've known us from birth, and you have important work for us to do, and it's not too late. We can still have faith. We can believe even though we don't see, and then we can do something about that belief, God. So we just pray that you would lead and guide us in our lives, because we do face a lot of storms, and God, there's many of us not only have we hit rock bottom, maybe we're at rock bottom, and eventually we're going to hit it again. So we need you to enter into our lives, and to come where we are like you did with Elijah, and meet us where we're at, and encourage us so we can begin to take steps forward. We praise you. In Jesus' name.